With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm and fuzzy ball. Welcome to Fluffy Las Vegas for the Baseball Bunny Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a terrific show for you guys. In the second segment, we are going to be joined by Tim Murray. He used to be out there in Washington, D.C. He is now living out here in Las Vegas doing the show, the Nightcap with the Vegas Ads and Information Network. You're able to catch that 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. If you're looking Pacific Time, that is 7 to 10. So he does a terrific job with that every Monday through Friday. And he does a terrific job being able to lock in on baseball. We're going to be talking about some of the big takeaways from the season. Going to be talking about... Just what we've all seen out there in the National League East get a little bit more of a Nationals perspective, including how Patrick Corbin has been struggling and what to expect from him on the mound today. So, going to have that chat in the second segment with Tim, and then in the final segment, going to give you guys side total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we touch them all first things first. Always love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. If you got one or two ways, we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters ZM, they mean does not matter. So, always send these into the timeline, other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I did not wind up getting in any today, and we unfortunately did wind up having a couple games get rained out on Wednesday, but we still did have a great day of baseball, so let's take a look back at it, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We'll start with my New York Post play of the day. I always love to gloat, and I just wound up watching this go final. The Oakland A's wind up getting a 6-0 win over the Seattle Mariners. I thought there would be a regression for Chris Flexen, and there was. He winds up giving up five runs. He does wind up going six innings as he wound up giving up five runs in the third inning, going deep for the Oakland A's in the 
this one. Mitch Moreland, he was able to get his fifth home run of the campaign. He was able to settle down from there. But for the bullpen, you have Robert Duggar give up a run in an inning. Anthony Machevich, two scoreless innings, but for the Seattle Mariners, they wound up having five out of their nine guys in the lineup finish up the night with a batting average of a buck seventy-five or lower. Just not a good lineup that they were able to put out there, and Chaminea took advantage. He winds up going with a complete game, gives up four hits along the way, so the Oakland A's, very easy winners there, and they're one of the teams that have been doing a little bit of a better job on the road than they have been at home, so we're going to be talking home and road splits in the second segment with Tim Murray as well, a team that's doing a supreme job at home. That would be the Chicago Cubs, and they get another win at Wrigley Field. 6-1 the final. Denelson Lamette, he winds up pitching his longest outing of the year, goes four innings, gives up one run, Nothing great, nothing awful. Punches out six. Good sign that he was able to go four strong. And then from there, a bullpen of the Padres, which has had the best ERA in the big leagues all season long. It wound up failing them. Miguel Diaz gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of two innings. Pierce Johnson gets two outs, but he gives up two runs. Tim Hill was able to give you an out, and Austin Adams, a scoreless setting, but for the Padres, nothing doing on offense on this one. You wind up having Fernando Tatis Jr. get the day off, and they just weren't able to generate anything as it was a tremendous start here for Ed Bear Alzale. He gives up one run over the course of five innings, and then the Cubs, they themselves over the last three days. Best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues, Dan Winkler, two scoreless innings. Rex Brothers, a scoreless inning. Brad Wiak, Tommy Nance, they combined for a scoreless inning of their own. And Avi Baez able to get his 14th home run of the season, and this actually could have been worse as the Cubs wound up going 2 of 14 with men in scoring position in this one. If you want up digging the under in the Arizona Diamondbacks and the New York Metropolitans game, I am right now raising my hand. This one was dead on contact. The New York Mets get a 7-6 win after 9 runs were scored in the first inning. David Peterson and... I mean, you can't give up five runs while being able to record one out, but this is a guy that he wound up having his start pushback, I think, five straight days. Not necessarily the most terrific of spots to be in for a pitcher. He winds up giving up all that, and he does wind up giving up a home run to Quetel Marte of the Marte Parte, his fifth of the season, but give the Mets bullpen credit. They go eight and two-thirds innings, giving up one run as you wind up having Edwin Diaz get the save. Miguel Castro, two scoreless innings. Robbie Gazelman, three and two-thirds scoreless. Seth Lugo gives up a run in two innings, but it's just good to see him back out there as he was one of the banged-up Mets. And for the Mets, they wound up getting to Madison Bumgarner themselves. James McCann is able to get his fourth home run this season. You wind up having Francisco Lindor break out for three hits. He's now hitting above the Mendoza line of 200 as for Mad Bum. Well, he has been a bum recently. He gives up five runs over the course of two innings. And I will say, for an Arizona bullpen that has been one of, if not the worst, over the last three days in baseball, this was not a bad showing. Joaquin Soria takes the loss as he gives up an unearned run in an inning as Mr. Marte, who winds up hitting that home run, he made a bad fielding error in the ninth inning in this one. Rick Bucher, along Kevin Ginkle, combined for two scoreless innings. Riley Smith, he gives you three innings, giving up one run. Taylor Clark, a scoreless inning as well. So, a very, very harebrained game that winds up dying down after the first inning, but certainly the damage had been done. On a crazy day of baseball, a bullpen game that is started by Matt Harvey results in a win. 6-3, the Baltimore Orioles have now won two straight games, and for the Minnesota Twins, at 22-33, and 33, they have been arguably the biggest disappointment out there in baseball along with the Atlanta Braves. We'll also be talking about that with Tim Murray, but Randy Dominic, not necessarily what he was hoping for in his start, gives up three runs in five and two-thirds innings, giving up a home run, and Alex Colomay, shock, shock, surprise, surprise, he gave up a home run. He winds up being able to get one out, gives up two runs. You had Caleb Theobar give up a run while being able to get two outs. Jorge Ocala gives you a scoreless inning, and then you were able to get a scoreless inning out of one of their newer bullpen pieces in Juan Manaya, but 
for the Minnesota Twins. All of eight with men in scoring position. You did wind up getting a home run out of the catcher's spot in Ryan Jeffers, his first home run this season as for the Baltimore Orioles. Harvey does give up that home run in three innings, and then from there, you get three scoreless innings out of Tyler Wells. You wind up having Sean Armstrong, who has been terrible this year with an 8.55 ERA, give up two runs in one and a third innings, but Paul Fry gets the final five outs. And for the Baltimore Orioles, Ryan Mountcastle, sixth home run of the season that comes off of Colmaine, is second in the series, and DJ turn it up, Stewart. He winds up going deep off of Randy Dubnik for his sixth home run of the season, and the Orioles do this while going 2 of 12 with men in scoring position. The Tampa Bay Rays, after being winners of 15 out of 16 games, have now lost two straight. They wind up falling to the New York Yankees by a count of 4 to 3 for the Tampa Bay Rays. Shane McClanahan wound up just getting into a whole mess of trouble in this one. He winds up going 3 and a third innings, and he winds up giving up all four runs as a bullpen from there was able to do their job. Ryan Thompson goes into a bases loaded jam for the Rays in the fourth inning. He's able to do a solid job of being able to work his way through it. And then from there, Colin McHugh, Jeffrey Springs both give you two scoreless innings, but for the Rays, one of 11 with men in scoring position as Jordan Montgomery has really been able to give the Yankees some good starts. He does wind up giving up three runs in six and a third innings, but only one of those was earned. He does not wind up getting taken deep, so he's been able to do a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. And then from there, the Yankees bullpen, which has been very good, they wind up doing their job. Chad Green, Aroldis Chapman, they both come in for scoreless eighth and ninth innings. Jonathan Luizga winds up coming in. He's able to give you a scoreless inning as well. And Gio Urshela gets his sixth home run the campaign. That comes off of Mr. McClanahan. So the Yankees seem to be getting back on track. The Nationals were able to get on track. They wind up taking down the Atlanta Braves by a count of 5-3. to three. The Braves, by the way, have not been over 500 yet this year. And for the Washington Nationals, pair of home runs. Juan Soto, his second straight day with a home run, his sixth of the season. That comes off of Drew Smiley. And then A.J. Mitchell serves one up to Young Gomes. His fifth of the season for Smiley. The fact that he only gave Gave up one home run in four and a third innings. Actually lowers his home runs per nine rate. Give it up. He gives up three runs overall, though, in four and a third innings. Luke Jackson, who has really been good out of the Braves' bullpen. He winds up getting five outs without giving up a run. Edgar's antenna was able to give you a scoreless inning, but then Chris Martin, A.J. Minter, they both give up a run in an inning. And for the Atlanta Braves, they go one of 11 with men in scoring position. Dansby Swanson able to get his ninth home run of the season. That comes off of John Lester, and that's all he gave up. So John Lester, actually a very good start, giving up one run in five and two-thirds innings. Santorini gives up two runs in an inning, but Danny Hudson, he gets four outs in the right hand, able to close the door for his ninth save of the season. You wind up having the Boston Red Sox go through a little bit of a power outage. They wind up losing to the Houston Astros by a count of 2-1. They wind up having the bases loaded in the first. They only get one run out of it. And then from there, things were just not good. And they have scored three runs or fewer now in each out of their last four games. So they certainly are scuffling a little bit with the bats. You take a look at the Houston Astros. They were able to get a very good start out of Framber Valdez. After he winds up getting touched up a little bit in that first inning, settles down, gives up just that one run over the course of seven innings, punches out 10. And then Ryan Stanek, Ryan Presley, they both come in eighth and ninth inning. They close the door. And for the Houston Astros, they wind up going just one of five with men in scoring position, but they were able to do just enough against Nick Pavetta, who ironically enough gave one of his best starts of the season. And this is the one that he takes his first loss of the season on. He winds up going six innings, gives up three hits, two walks, two runs, punches out nine. And then from there, Darwinson Hernandez gives you a scoreless inning. Hodokazu Sawamura along Josh Shaler. They combine for a scoreless inning of their own, but the Boston Red Sox just unable to supply any offense whatsoever. The Dodgers supplied some offense as they hang 11 runs in the first inning on the St. Louis Cardinals to get a 14-3 win. For Carlos Martinez, this was not good for his ERA. Two-thirds of an inning, and he gives up 10 runs, all of which were earned, and none of them were via homers. That is just absolutely terrible. 
You wind up having the Woodford. Jake Woodford come in. He gives you two and a third innings, giving up one run. Tyler Webb winds up coming in. He gives up three runs in an inning. I will say, Seth Ledge along Junior Fernandez. They both come in for two innings. They both don't give up any runs. Credit to the Cardinals for not using any position players to pitch. If you're looking for a sign of brightness with the Cardinals, you were able to get a home run out of Paul Goldschmidt, his seventh of the season. That comes off of Walker Buehler, and Buehler serves one up to Dylan Carlson, his sixth, and for Buehler, he has now given up eight home runs at home in his last five starts. So he certainly has been getting touched up a little bit there, but still he winds up giving up three runs over the course of six innings. More than enough to be able to get the W. Alex Vesia comes in for an inning of relief. Edwin Uceta, two scoreless innings and for the Dodgers. Cody Bellinger was able to get his first home run of the season. That came off of the Woodford and for the Dodgers. 8 of 15 with men in scoring position, and now they are leading the National League with regards to runs per game as they're averaging right in the neighborhood about 5.4-ish. The Colorado Rockies continue to be very solid at home. 6 of 3 the final for the Rockies. They are 4 and 22 on the road, now 18 and 12 at home. So you've got to be taking a look at them vastly differently. At and away from Coors Field. For the Texas Rangers, you actually got a not-so-bad start out of Jordan Lyles. He gives up three runs over the course of five innings. Considering it's Jordan Lyles and considering it's Coors Field, you could have done worse. But Taylor Hearn, he winds up giving up two runs to two innings, giving up a home run, and then you wind up having a run given up by Demarcus Evans for the Texas Rangers. They themselves were unable to get any home runs, two of six with Ben in scoring position, as the Rockies get a very good start out of Antonio Sensatella. He does give up three runs, only one of which was earned to usurp by Garrett Hampson error, but then you have Daniel Bard give you a scoreless inning, and Carlos Estevez was able to give you an out as well to be able to help the team out of the eighth. And for the Colorado Rockies, Josh Fuentes, who has hit above 300 at home, well below 200 on the road, he goes deep off of her. He was able to get his fifth home run of the season. Being able to go deep in this one as well, you were able to get something out of the Toronto, a.k.a. Dunedin, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays. They wind up taking down the Miami Marlins by kind of 6-5. Marlins wind up getting up 4-1 to one early in this one, and the Blue Jays were able to claw their way back with a three-run ninth. And in that ninth inning, you were able to get a nice walk-off thanks to a Joe Panic sacrifice fly, but being able to set that up, you did have a pair of home runs from the Blue Jays. Randall Gritchick, he gets two of them. His 10th and 11th of the season off of Mr. Pablo Lopez, who gives up those two home runs. Just two runs over the course of four innings, but he wound up jacking up his pitch count. And then from there, the Marlins had to rely upon their bullpen. And Yimi Garcia, who's been relatively solid for the Marlins all year long, gives up three runs in a third of an inning in that ninth. And the rest of the guys actually did their part. For the Miami Marlins, you wind up having Anthony Bender give you four outs out of the bullpen. Richard Blyer was able to give you a pair as well. Anthony Basso and Floro, they both give you a scoreless inning. And for the Miami Marlins, Lots of solo home runs in this one. Jazz Chislam, his sixth of the year. That comes off of Alec Manoa. Manoa what? He gave one up to Asus Aguiar as well. His tenth of the season. And then we've got the Marte Parte going on. He winds up going deep off of Trent Thornton, his third of the season. And Manoa, he would give up one more. That would come to Corey Dickerson, his second of the season. But for the Miami Marlins, zero hits with men in scoring position as Manoa. He gives up four runs over the course of three and a third innings. Three home runs. From there, Joel Payampas gives you two scoreless innings. Jim Mazza was able to give you a pair of outs. Trent Thornton gives up a solo home run in an inning. But Carl Edwards Jr., a scoreless inning. And Anthony Castro able to get the win with a scoreless ninth. So we are certainly seeing some very interesting things out there in the ALE. So we're seeing some interesting things in general when it comes to baseball. These games have just gotten very crazy. If you're taking a look over the last seven days, favorites have been doing okay, not great, not terrible. 53 and 42, that's a 55.8%. Hit rate for favorites. If you're taking a look at unders, 49 and 44 over the last seven days. That's a 52.7% clip. If you're taking a look a little bit bigger at the last 30 days, 
Favorites have been able to do a relatively solid job, 235 and 164. And then if you're looking at overs, relatively even, 197 and 192 over the last three days. And really totals in general for the season have been very even. If you're taking a look at a season-wide view, 398 unders, 396 overs. So 50.1% hit rate to the under. And if you're looking at favorites overall for the year, they are hitting at a 56.1% clip. 458, 358, and if you're looking at away favorites, they have not fared as well as home favorites. On the road, favorites are 156 and 137, which means at home favorites, 302 and 221, 57.7% there. So that's what we all notice in Major League Baseball, both overall for the season from a trends perspective, and on Wednesday, now let's chat with our good buddy Tim Murray over there with the Vegas Ads and Information Network, doing a great job of hosting the nightcap. We're going to be talking with them about the Washington Nationals, the NLEs, some of the games are going to be coming up for Wednesday, and home and road splits and their intrigue. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Dave Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is great to be joined by our next guest as he is the host of Vsins and Nightcap. You're able to hear that every Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. Well, technically, if you're out there on the East Coast, I guess it extends into Saturday morning. So there is that. If you're looking Pacific time, it is actually Monday through Friday. It is Tim Murray who's joining me on the podcast. He also does some work with 1029 The Hog that is out there <laughs> in my home state of Wisconsin, out there in Milwaukee. And he is Muhlenberg's single season record holder for worst free throw percentage. You're able to follow Tim Murray on Twitter at one Tim Murray, and always great to have you aboard, my friend. How are you? I'm great, GP. Yeah, heading up to good old Milwaukee later on this summer, so looking forward to spending some time there and going to hit up AmFam Field for the first time in my career, so I'm going to check that one off the old list. That is absolutely awesome, man. What else is absolutely awesome is what we've seen in baseball the first two months of the season. It has been wild and crazy. Everyone thought that the Dodgers were the odds-on favorite heading into the season to be able to win the World Series and sell the betting favor, no question about it. They've had a solid season, but we really have seen some teams being able to rise up. What has really been the biggest shock to you so far this baseball season? Because for me, it is the San Francisco Giants, a team that I actually think has some staying power, along with the fact that pitching, you thought it was going to be relatively solid. I didn't think it was going to be quite this dominant, but what has stood out to you first two months of the season? Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that, GP. The Giants, you know, we, we, we all thought this would be a, you know, Padres, Dodgers, and a bunch of slop. And now the Rockies and Diamondbacks fit that characteristic. But the Giants, you know, to your point, too, in staying power, and I'm sure you've hit on this, you know, it's like a run differential, right? The Giants are plus 62 as of recording time. You look at the NL East, which I know we're going to get to, and the leader in the NL East is, you know, plus six, and that's the Marlins, who are five games under 500, and just in run differential by what I mean. So, yeah, I do think there is staying power. I don't think this is fraudulent. Now, do I think they'll win the NOS? No, probably not. But I think they're going to be a postseason team. They're going to have to fend off probably someone from the Central for that wild card berth. And I think there, there's a real legitimate chance that we're looking at the NL West and having three playoff teams, which would certainly be a ton of fun. And the recent struggles for the New York Yankees certainly have to be surprising and how they are playing. And then at this point, GP, can we call the Tampa Bay Rays doing what they do every year? Oh, they traded Blake Snell. They're going to stink. doesn't matter. It's remarkable what they 
do year in and year out. We discredit them or we don't think they're going to be as good. And then here they are, 14 games over 500. So I don't know why the Rays should ever be on a surprise uh, list, but here they are, you know, in first place in, in what is usually thought to be one of the toughest divisions outside of the Orioles in all of baseball. And for the Tampa Bay Rays as well, what I always find to be very intriguing about them is being able to get it done on the road. I do think that you have to gauge suddenly seems vastly differently home to road because the Rays 15 and 13 at home, which it's not terrible at the same time. It's not necessarily what you'd think of as a juggernaut. 20 and 8 on the road going into Wednesday. That is absolutely ridiculous what they've been able to do with that regard. And I do take a look at it as we do have Tim Murray joining me on the podcast as we do have some teams that are just vastly different home to road. We were talking about the NL East a little bit. You take a look at the NL East, every single team in that division is below 500 on the road. Best road record, the Atlanta Braves at 11 and 12. You've got the Mets going into yesterday at 11 and 16, Phillies 11 and 19, Marlins 12 and 17, and the Nats are 9 and 14, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. We all know about the Colorado Rockies, who are 4-22 and on the road and entering into yesterday, 17-12 and at home. And I really do think that it's remarkable what we've seen with this because for much of the year, fans have been in the stands, but not necessarily at full capacity. We're starting to get back into that with a lot of these ballparks being able to go to north of 75% capacity these last few weeks. But I do think that it is very, very interesting to take a look at some of these home and road splits. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I don't blame the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, I would like to play on the road if, if your home field is the trop. So yeah. going away from there is not the worst thing in the world. But yeah, to see a team that is 12 games over 500 on the road is really remarkable. The A's, you know, have had great success on the road this year and the Giants. But the Giants, I think it's pretty comparable, right? What they've done on the road and what they've done at home. So to see the A's and the Rays both have so much success on the road this year is interesting to look at. And the Colorado Rockies is something else. Their home road splits this year. That's quite comical. Yeah. What else is something else is what we're all seeing out there in the NLE says the New York Mets entered into yesterday. A relatively sizable leader out there in the NL East. Up three and a half games on the Atlanta Braves. Biggest lead of any division leader out there in baseball, which that's really remarkable to say, considering the New York Mets of their eight position players that wound up serving on opening day. I believe that six are currently on the injured list. Might be five with Pete Alonso coming back, but they are all sorts of banged up. The Atlanta Braves have been a big, fat disappointment this year. And having Marcel Ozuna get arrested, not necessarily too ideal. The Washington Nationals actually are looking a little bit better with the bullpen, but they are just not getting anyone to hit homers to save their lives. And then you got the Miami Marlins, who are a scrappy bunch. At the same time, they need a little bit of offense in the Philadelphia Phillies, just have no idea how to play on the road. So I think that this is going to be one of the more intriguing races out there in baseball. And we always talk about the NFC East in football being the NFC least. I think that you can make the same argument for the NL East. Yeah, and it's surprising because you look at preseason win totals. If my memory serves me correct, GP, I think four out of the five, their win total was over 500. The Nats were around 84-ish. Braves were the highest. The Mets were right there behind them. And then the Phillies. I'm certainly disappointed what we've seen from the Atlanta Braves. I actually played them. It was a reverse jinx as the Nats fan here. But I played them to win the World Series. I think I got 
14 to 1 odds, 18 to 1. I can't remember where I got somewhere in that. But that's how bad it is. I'm not even checking in on, on the future that I have on the Atlanta Braves. I do think, and maybe I'm crazy, I haven't completely given up on the Atlanta Braves because I think ultimately I do believe that starting pitching can come around. I really kind of have given up on the Nats. And I think there's a possibility that they sell off because for them, you know, winning the World Series a couple of years ago, obviously bubble gumming that that bullpen together with, you know, Patrick Corbin coming out of the bullpen, Steven Strasburg in the wild card game. They had to really be unique in what they did in the postseason. And they've traded away a lot of assets in order to get to where they ultimately wanted to be, which was winning a World Series. And I don't blame them whatsoever for it. I mean, that's what you kind of have to do. But the farm system is not very strong right now. They're kind of banking on a handful of prospects to hit with the pitching rotation at some point down the road, GP. But I would not be surprised if they look at some pieces that they could potentially move at the deadline because, yes, you have Max Scherzer, and he's in the final year of his deal. I'll say this. I would be surprised if the ownership allows Max Scherzer to be traded. That would be my hunch. Just knowing that they put the kibosh on a Bryce Harper deal, Mike Rizzo tried to trade him in his final year. The ownership's that deal. And when you look at the success that the Nats had in paying this exorbitant amount of money to Max Scherzer, $210 million, and even kind of being a bargain, now you look at Patrick Corbin, Steven Strasburg's hurt yet again. They took a flyer on John Lester, which I didn't have anything against, but at the end of the day, if you want him to be your fourth or fifth starter in a contending team, you have to be pretty worried and hesitant about that. Joe Ross has had his ups and downs. It is funny that you mentioned the bullpen that actually doesn't suck this year. However, Brad Hand, who they went out and spent some money on to get as the closer, has really had his ups and downs. So I think a guy like Daniel Hudson could bring a lot of trade value for the organization come trade deadline, Brad Hand. So I would be surprised where they stand right now at 21 and 29. And I know they were 19 and 31 and they went on to win the World Series. I remember it well, but I would be surprised if this team could turn it around like they are. Nothing in that lineup. There's no depth there, GP. Trey Turner's having a year, an all-star caliber season, but do you believe that this lineup has some sustainability? So I don't expect the Nats to make a run in this division. And the Mets, that is surprising with how much they've been banged up that here they are. And they're still finding a way to be in first place by, as you mentioned, more than anyone else. Yeah, it has been a completely unique division this year, as we do have Tim Murray of the Vegas Sets and Information Network joining me on the podcast. And how about if we get to that Nationals versus Braves game? Because as we're doing this podcast, it was supposed to be Ian Anderson who was going to be taking the bump for the Braves. Braves had decided that they are going to give him an extra day of rest, so he is going to be going on Friday instead of Thursday, so now it is good old to be determined. As we do this podcast for the Braves, Patrick Corbin on the bump for the Nationals. When it was Anderson versus Corbin, the Braves were finding themselves between minus 140 and minus 150 favorites, depending on where you look, and it has just been a big fall for Patrick Corbin. It's actually done halfway decent at home in his recent last couple starts, but you take a look at him on the road. 7.45 ERA in four starts, and it's given up six home runs and 19 and a third innings. Now, this is a guy that a few years ago when the team was able to win the World Series, he was incredibly dominant. He was their Swiss Army Knife guy doing it all. He's always had a little bit of issue on the road as compared to at home, but this is just absolutely terrible. Yeah, I, I don't know how. And maybe with the fact that you're getting the scratch, I think that you're looking at just at a spot to maybe against Patrick Corbin. Now, 
like you mentioned, he hasn't been horrendous. He was not awful in the month of June. Had a 4.29 ERA, so not horrible. He's gotten slightly better as the year has gone on. Hasn't faced Atlanta yet. I don't know how you bet on this dude. He gave up 11 hits. The Orioles, two starts ago, got hit up pretty good by the Milwaukee Brewers over the weekend. So it just feels like he's a type of guy, GP, that you've got to fade until ultimately he, you know, comes through. But once again, to contradict myself, he only had one loss in the whole month of six starts and it came over the weekend against the Milwaukee Brewers. So he wasn't dreadful. Maybe he's starting to get a little bit better after just a horrific start to the season. This is a disappointing year. and I don't know if he's going to be turning this thing around. Yeah, I think it could be a rough one for Patrick Corbin, but seeing the total anywhere between eight and a half and nine, that actually might be very appealing if we wind up getting that because take a look at the Atlanta Braves. Right now, they don't have Bryce Wilson on the official roster. If they do wind up listing him, we'll probably get a start. But if they don't wind up bringing him up, it'll be Josh Tomlin, perhaps Sean Newcomb. And, well, those guys aren't a whole heck of a lot more trustworthy themselves. So not necessarily going well there. But things are going well when it comes to just being able to take a look at a lot of these games day in and day out. And, Tim, is there anything that's really standing out to you that's going to be going down on Thursday? Because... We do have a little bit of a smaller than normal yeah. card, but we do have some pretty solid matchups. Is there one or two that really are catching your eye? Yeah, I mean, I think the main one was that Washington game. Curious to see who Atlanta ultimately puts out there. And as you mentioned, the total is a potential play there with Corbin getting hit up pretty good. Maybe this Nats offense found some life. I get hesitant betting overs in Nats games just because they have had so many games this year where they've laid an absolute egg. So early on, if you get a cheaper price on Atlanta going up against Patrick Corbin, who struggled on the road, I would look to potentially grab that for Atlanta. But that's the one I'm looking at. And obviously, we don't have a line out yet, but Garrett Cole on the hill against Tampa Bay. Curious what that total will be. I imagine that won't be a pretty low one. Yep, I think the reason why they're holding off on that Rays versus Yankees game to be able to set is because as of right now, it looks like Ryan Yarbrough is going to be pitching for the Rays. As we know, the Rays love to be able to use an opener for him because if you take a look at Ryan Yarbrough throughout his career, coming in in a relief role, depending on how you look at it, either 24-5 and or 25-5 and is his record coming in in a relief role as a starter below 500. So certainly a little bit understandable why the Rays might be wanting to utilize their pended opener system there. And a man that is an opener, he is a closer. He does a little bit of everything <laughs> with the Vegas Sats and Information Network. That'd be you, Tim. You do a great job with the nightcap. That is every Monday through Friday. Because it extends into Saturday if you're out there on the East Coast as well and you do many great things. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Yeah, just that one, Tim Murray. GP and the nightcap, as you mentioned and said so well, each and every night we sweat out plays and recap what's going on. Certainly a fun time to be tuning in as uh, we were losing our mind on Tuesday night when Damian Lillard was doing his thing and Jokic as well. So yeah, each and every night, 10 to 1 a.m. Eastern, 7 to 10 Pacific on VEASAN. And Tim doing an absolutely terrific job as he is on the nightcap every Monday through Friday on the West Coast. You're going to be able to find that from 7 to 10 p.m. Pacific time on the East Coast as 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern every Monday through Friday and occasionally he's kind enough to join this podcast as well. So big thanks to Tim Murray for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast and coming up next. It is that time of the podcast. Thank you. Sign journal and every game on the betting board as we touch them all.
Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Big thanks to Tim Murray of the Vegas Ads Information Network. Doing great work with the nightcap for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a signed total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScore1 as per usual. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go National League games first, then the American League games, and then any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. We've got one of those, so there is that, and we've got a couple to-be-determined pitchers, so there's going to be no lines on a few of these games, but certainly going to be doing my best with these as we begin with 901-902 on the betting board. The Washington Nationals hit the road face off against the Atlanta Braves. What's supposed to be Ian Anderson for the Atlanta Braves? His start has been pushed back a day, so currently to be determined as I record this. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nats. The Nats were at plus 130-ish when it was supposed to be Ian Anderson going, and the Braves were right around minus 140 to minus 150 with a total between 8.5 and 9. Juice on the over with the 8.5 on the 9. Under was at minus 120, and the over was at even. Now it is a little bit to be determined. A lot of this is going to be based on who the Braves wind up trotting out there, but I'll probably be taking a look at an over in this spot, and I'll still probably be making the Braves some sort of a favorite unless if they throw out their Josh Shomlin, who was just an absolute disaster as he started last season, and he's got an ERA north of six so far this season. You take a look at this Washington Nationals team. They've been a bunch that have been able to get a little bit of something going so far this season, especially with just being able to get on base in general in their road games. They're in the top five when it comes to row batting averages. You've got Trey Turner down for what? Hitting above a 300 for the team. Juan Soto, Josh Harrison, both of these guys hitting in the pocket of between a 275 and a 290. And for Soto, north of a 400 on base. Soto seems to be finally coming around with the power as well. Back-to-back days with a home run for him. You just need a little bit more out of guys like Kyle Schwarber, Josh Bell. They're your main power hitters, and they just have not necessarily been able to materialize so far this year. And for the Atlanta Braves, they have to adjust to life without Marcel Zuno wound up getting arrested over the weekend. You've got Ronald Acuna Jr. doing a solid job hitting just below 317 home runs. That's tied for the league lead. Freddie Freeman, Ozzie Albies, both hitting between a 230 and 240, but Freeman, 360 on base, double digit amount of home runs. Austin Riley has actually been very good for this team, nearly a 400 on base. And Dansby Swanson seems to be turning it around. He was able to get a home run yesterday, but when you take a look at the Atlanta Braves, Bullpen is actually in the bottom 10 in the big leagues. Luke Jackson, who has been highly reliable for the team, he winds up getting used up yesterday, so you wind up using up one of your best bullets there. Chris Martin has actually been able to do solid. A.J. Minter has been up and down. Tyler Madzak looked like he was finding it. He winds up giving up a couple runs a few days ago as well. And then when you take a look at the Washington Nationals, we were mentioning it with Tim Murray. The bullpen has actually been solid. Sam Clay is someone that's actually able to give you some solid innings. Danny Hudson, Brad Ann. I like both of these guys. Kyle Finnegan off to a little bit of a rough start this year, but he's been able to find it. Wonder I swear this guy sucks as a sub-3 ERA. He is going to drop back eventually, but... Take a look at this spot with Patrick Corbin. He just has not been good on the road. North of a 7 ERA. Actually didn't pitch terribly in the month of May. I just don't know how long that's going to be able to stay as well. It just seems like he has not been able to find it so far this year. And he always has been a little bit worse on the road than he has been at home. This year it's been much worse on the road. So probably going to be setting the Atlanta Braves at some sort of a favorite. Need to know a little bit more about the pitching matchup as to how big of a favorite. And I've got to think if this total is right around like 9-ish, I'd be 
taking a look at the over as well. 903-904 on the betting board. This is one that is off the board as you've got the Miami Marlins hitting the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mr. Tyler Anderson is going to be going for the Pirates. Right now, ESPN is listing Cody Poteet as the starter in this one. If it is Poteet versus Tyler Anderson, I'm going to be making the Pittsburgh Pirates a little bit of a favorite just because they are at home. And Tyler Anderson has actually not been too bad. Poteet has actually made the most of his opportunities. I do think that a little bit of regression is coming in there. I'm on up saying the Marlins with Poteet as plus 104 underdogs. The Pirates at minus 104 set the total at 7.7 as well. You've got a pair of teams that are in the bottom five in the big leagues in nearly every offensive category for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They're just not putting back to ball right now when it comes to being able to take them out. 37 home runs over the course of 54 games. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins they're averaging right around .8-ish home runs per game as well. Aces Aguiar has been stuck on nine home runs for quite a while for this team. They were able to get a little bit of something going yesterday out there in the city of Buffalo. And Aguiar was able to get his 10th home run. So that is able to help him out a little bit. Jazz Shizlam is back in full. That's going to help with on-base percentage because he, along Corey Dickerson, both hitting in that pocket of about a 275 Aguiar. He's been able to give you north of 35 RBI. So he's able to give you a little bit of something there. Garrett Cooper has been able to give you some power numbers as well. You take a look at some of these guys like Izan Diaz, whenever Lewis Princeton is out there, Adam Duvall. Need a little bit more there. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Adam Frazier at the top has been very good for this team. Nearly a four-on base, 335 batting average. Brian Reynolds, he right now leads the team with seven home runs. And that in and of itself is a big issue. You take a look at this Pittsburgh Pirates bunch. You just haven't necessarily been able to get a lot out of guys like Eric Gonzalez, Kevin Newman, Cole Tucker, Ben Gamble. These guys, they're in below the Mendoza line of 200. I know that they wound up kicking the tires on the Todd Father, Todd Frazier. That was not necessarily too terrific. I will say Jacob Sellings, not a bad hitting catcher. And you've been able to get Wilmer Defoe a couple of bats. And he has been relatively solid for this team. But I do think that when it comes to this game, you take a look at the bullpens and I actually give a little bit of an edge here to the Pirates. I know that the bullpen has been failing them a little bit more recently, but Richard Rodriguez, currently sitting with a sub-2 ERA, Jason Shreve, has been able to give you some solid innings. I like what you're able to get out of Kyle Crick. David Bernard has been solid in them for the Miami Marlins. Needed more length out of Mr. Pablo Lopez, who wound up going four innings yesterday, so Anthony Bender wound up having to get used up. You do have the gentlemen that come over from the Dodgers in Dillon Floor along with Emi Garcia, who have been solid. John Curtis with two S's on the back half of Curtis, Adam Simber. These guys have been relatively rock solid, so I do think that runs are going to be at a little bit of a premium. 7.5 or lower going to be taking a look at the over 8 or higher going to be taking a look at the under end. Like I said, this is based on Cody Poteet being the starter for the Miami Marlins. If it winds up being a little bit more of a bullpen game, going to set the Pirates as a little bit more than the 104 favorite that I currently have them at right now. 9.05, 9.06 on the bank board. The Arizona Diamondbacks hit the road face off against the Milwaukee Brewers. This is another game that's off the board as the Arizona Diamondbacks have good old to be determined as their starter. Meanwhile, ESPN is listing Adrian Hauser as the starter. It is not going to be him. It's going to be Brett ha- Anderson at this point. And for Brett Anderson, very much a soft tosser. He's got 20 strikeouts in 32 and two-thirds innings. Has been giving up a little bit too much hard contact. Six home runs given up in 32 and a third innings. And you take a look at him on the road. He has given up five home runs over the course of 21 and two-thirds innings, as we know, in Arizona. Especially when the roof is open, which it has been a lot this year. Ball is very much going to go flying. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they have been able to find their offense a little bit more. You do have to like the fact that you've got Ketel Marte of the Marte Parte back for the team. Hitting nearly a 350. He goes deep yesterday. Paven Smith has been able to give you right around 290 batting average. You need a little bit more on some of the guys at the bottom. Tim LaCastro, Eliarmo Vargas. 
Nick Ahmad, guys like this have just not been able to materialize, but Carson Kelly, north of a 425 on base. You do have to like the fact that Eduardo Escobar has given you a double-digit amount of home runs. He's working on that batting average. Christian Walker has not necessarily done the job for the team, but he's getting back to form, but with the airs and the Diamondbacks, they also had to wind up getting seven innings out of the bullpen yesterday, and in the last three days prior to yesterday, they had the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Actually, probably improved upon that a little bit. Bullpen was not bad yesterday, but now you've got Kevin Ginkle, Joaquin Soria, Rick Buecher, Riley Smith, all guys that wound up getting used up yesterday, so that's not necessarily too ideal. And then for the Brewers, the good news is you're going to have Devin Williams and Josh Hader available in this game, which is big because the rest of the bullpen arms, not necessarily too great. You wind up trading for Trevor Richards. He's a guy that's able to give you a little bit of length. Eric Yardley, not necessarily terrible for the team, but with the Milwaukee Brewers as well. What are you going to be able to get out of this lineup? They wound up scoring seven runs in their last game against the Detroit Tigers, and Omir Nervias has been doing a great job for this team. Hitting north of a 300, nearly a 400 on base, so you're able to get a little bit of something there. Colton Wong has been solid as well, hitting a 285, but it just Expect more power numbers out of Christian Yelich. One home run so far this year. He's doing a good job of being able to get on base, but the batting average is not necessarily there. Obviously, El Garcia has been able to give you some power. He's been hitting a 245, but then you've got Luis Urias hitting a 223. Tyrone Taylor is in that pocket as well. Manny Pina, Castanera, Travis Shaw, Daniel Robertson, all hitting below the Mendoza line. So it's been a little bit of a hot mess there for the Brewers. Probably going to be setting them as a bit of a favorite because I just don't want to know who that mystery pitcher is going to be for the years at a high back set. This is probably going to be a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at a 9 or lower over 9.5 or higher. Going to be probably taking a look at the under, but I just need to know who the Arizona Diamondbacks draw out there as a pitcher because it might be a hot mess to say the least. 907-908 on the bang board. The St. Louis Cardinals are going to be playing on the Cincinnati Reds. Vladimir Gutierrez is on the bump for the Red Legs. Meanwhile, Adam Wainwright is on the bump for the Cardinals. I don't know if these are numbers from when Gutierrez was named the starter or if these were the remains of Luis Castillo, but right now as I'm seeing it, Cardinals anywhere between minus 114 and minus 125 favorites. Reds are at plus 105 to all games anywhere between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8 overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even and minus 105. On the 8.5, unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 110. I can tell you right now, I wound up saying the Reds as more around a plus 144 underdog Cardinals, more around a minus 144 favorite and when it comes to this total, it makes things very, very tricky because you've got a gentleman out there making his second career start, but I want to say this total at 8.3, so I'd probably be taking a look at the over on the 8s that we are seeing right now, but with Adam Wainwright, the handicap home to road has to be different with him, as it has to be with the Cincinnati Reds for the Reds. This is a bunch that they're averaging over six runs per game at home, less than four on the road. Meanwhile, you take a look at Adam Wainwright. He has been able to do an absolutely terrific job for this team, and I will say right now, as I'm taking a look at ESPN right now, they are listing it as to be determined for the St. Louis Cardinals, which always makes things nice and interesting. So this might be a little bit of subject to change as well. But if you do wind up getting Adam Wainwright, he is someone that at home has been absolutely masterful. On the road has been, well, not necessarily so good at home. 241 ERA in six starts. He's given up four home runs, 11 walks. Opponents are hitting a buck 96 off of him. On the road, 313 is what opponents are hitting off of him. He's given up six home runs at 18 and two thirds innings with an 820 
ERA. So that is vastly different. Now, you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. If they do wind up having a scratch, Mr. Wainwright in this one, they do have a couple guys who are going to be able to give you multiple innings. I know that Genesis Cabrera has made a couple starts in the past. Junior Fernandez has been using long relief for a lot of two-plus inning stints. So you're going to be able to get a little bit of something there. Giovanni Gallegos is going to be able to eat up a couple innings for you. So you do have guys that you're able to look to. You might even have, you don't mess with the Johan Oviedo wind up getting his start. And for Gutierrez, first start he wound up making was at Wrigley Field on Friday. The wind was blowing in at like 25 miles per hour, and he still wound up giving up a home run. I don't necessarily like what I'm seeing out of him. I think that he might be due in for a little bit of a tough situation, and obviously if we wind up seeing a different pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals, that total of 8.3, it is going to be going up, but you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds. You've got a pair of guys that are doing an absolutely tremendous job of being able to get on base for this team. Jesse Winker, Nick Cassianos, both of these guys. North of 340 batting averages and north of 400 on bases, both of these guys. A combined 25 home runs. Eugenio Suarez is someone that has been able to give you 12 home runs, but he's hitting a buck 62 right now. That is not necessarily been too terrific. Taylor Naquin, 11 home runs, hitting in the realm of about a 250, but he has just not been the same player away from home. He hasn't necessarily been able to have as many power numbers as only three of those home runs have come on the road. This is a team that's dealing with a banged up Mike Moussakis as well. That's not necessarily helpful. Now, Kyle Farmer has been able to give you a little bit of something, but batting average with he and Tucker Barnard, vastly different home to road as well. And for the Reds, this is a bullpen that is just flat out not good. Amir Garrett is rocking a north of nine ERA right now. That has been just a mess to say the least. When you take a look at some of these other guys that wind up coming out of the bullpen, I actually really like what you're getting out of TJ Antone. And I was high on Lucas Sims coming into the year. Sims has just not been able to materialize the way that I was hoping for. Cam Bedrosian was so bad that he wound up getting optioned down. And now he's with the Oakland A's. So there's that. Sionelo Perez has not necessarily been terrific. Ryan Hendricks has a road ERA that is north of a 7-5. So that is why I was setting the Reds as a significant underdog when we were seeing Adam Wainwright to be determined who's going to be going for the St. Louis Cardinals right now. So we've got a little bit of flux there, but I do anticipate with the Reds just not necessarily being a team that you want to be trusting in on the road as you take a look at it. The record is 12-15 and 15 on the road, and the Cardinals, they're 15-10 and 10 at home. Probably going to be backing the Cardinals in some form or capacity, but we just need to know if Wainwright is going to be starting or if it's going to be someone else. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRS41. Unfortunately, we've got a messy board today, but doing our best with it. 909-910 on the betting board. You've got the Chicago Cubs hitting the road face off against the San Francisco Giants. Anthony DiScalfani is going to be going for the Yantes. Zach Davies is on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs are finding themselves as slight underdogs here. Anywhere between plus 102 and plus 106. If you're taking a look at the Giants, they are anywhere between minus 114 and minus 125 with your total at 8. Under is anywhere between minus 120 and minus 105. Over is anywhere between even and minus 115. And for DiScalfani, other than the one terrible start that he wound up having against the Dodgers in which he winds up giving up 10 runs in that start. He's actually been relatively solid for the team. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Chicago Cubs and Zach Davies. He got off to an absolutely terrible start to the year, but Davies has been able to find it recently. You take a look at his last five starts. He's given up a combined five runs and won at least a five innings in every one of them. Now, a guy that is not necessarily going to be able to get you too many punch outs. He's had 12 strikeouts in those last five starts, but he's done a good job of being able to lower the walks two or fewer in four out of his last five starts. I was really ailing him to begin the year because he is giving up right around 4.7, 4.8 walks per nine innings. But you take a look at the Cubs. I believe that if they don't have the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues, they do have it over the last 30 days. They have been lights out for the team. Tommy Nance, Dylan Maples, Craig Kimbrell, 
Brad Wiak, even Dan Winkler have all been able to come through for this team. And then you take a look at the Giants here, currently dealing with some injuries. Reyes Moranta being on the injured list has hurt them. Connor Menez has now become a little bit more of a long guy. Tyler Rogers has been solid, but Jake McGee has been faltering a little bit. They now bring in Dominic Leon to be able to give them a couple more innings. Erling Garcia has actually been solid recently. And then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants with their lineup. It is all about Buster Posey right now. Buster Posey has been absolutely magnificent for the team. A double-digit amount of home runs. I believe that he's averaging a home run every 13 at best, hitting a 315 north of a 400 on base. Evan Liguori is hitting a 275 with a 360 on base. He's been able to supply some boom as well. Brandon Crawford, 11 home runs. He's got a 335 on base. And you're noticing with a lot of these guys, they have sub-235 batting averages, but they've been able to get on base. You have to take a look at a guy like an Austin Slater, an Adam Dickerson, even Mikey Ostromsky. They're all in that pocket, but they do find a way to be able to get on base. And then with the Cubs, this is a team that they've been vastly different home to road. At home so far this year, they've been one of the best teams out there in the big leagues. 21 at 10. On the road, 11 and 13. So you do have a big fall off there. Avi Bias has 14 home runs so far this year, but I believe that north of 10 of those have come at home so far this year. So that is something that you do wind up taking a look at. Chris Bryant on the road has actually been tremendous. 426 on base. Eight home runs in just his road games. Anthony Rizzo has been a little bit intermiss for the team as well. Hitting on the road right around at 250, but his on base is relatively solid. Wilson Contreras is hitting north of a 300 on the road as well. So you do take a look at that, but the ballpark out there in San Francisco should be able to hold things in a little bit more with Scalfani. He's done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. So I think that he's going to be able to do so in this spot once again. When you take a look at the Giants, they have been rolling recently, and I wound up saying them as a result as a minus 148 favorite in this spot. So Going to be back in the Giants. Set this total at 7.8, so we're going to be going under as well. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. You've got the New York Metropolitans at the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. You Darvish going to be going for the pods. Tyvon Walker is on the bump for the Mets. Tarlon's game is anywhere between 6.5 and 7. On the 6.5, over is juice of minus 120. The under is even. On the 7, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105. And with the Padres, anywhere between minus 170 and minus 180 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Mets, it is anywhere between plus 148 and plus 160. And for Tyvon Walker, he's done a very good job of being able to limit the hard contact so far this year. He's facing off against the Padres team that they've got Fernando Tatis Jr rolling, but with Walker, 4-1 record, 184 ERA, one home run given up in 49 innings. He has been nothing short of magnificent for this team, and you take a look at him on the road, he hasn't necessarily been quite as good, but still a 275 ERA. He's going to be out there in a very pitcher-friendly ballpark, and opponents, when he's on the road, are hitting a buck 57 off of him. Now, he has given up a couple of walks right around 3.66 walks per nine innings, but you still like what you're seeing there, and for you, Darvish, he's actually been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home, but I mean, still... 206 ERA at home. Opponents are hitting a 206 off of him. He has given up five home runs, but I do think that a largely a lot of that is because he's played a couple day games. And when you take a look at the Mets, they are starting to get a little bit more healthy. Pete Alonso wound up returning in that series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. He had himself a very good series. James McCann was able to hit a home run for this team yesterday with four RBI. That was big. And Francisco Lindor now hitting above the Mendoza line of 200. They get back Kevin Pillar, he and Dom Smith, both hitting right around at 265. Brandon Drury has been able to give you a little bit 
bit of something. So things are starting to materialize for the Mets now. Bad news is the bullpen had to be used for eight and two-thirds innings yesterday. So Seth Lugo, Miguel Castro, Robbie Gazelman probably not going to be able to come out. So you have to rely upon guys like Jurisic Familia and Aaron Loop in this spot. And for the Padres, they've used their bullpen for the most innings out there in baseball. But Hugh Darvish is probably their most steady Eddie starter. And all these guys like Mark Melanson, Emilio Pagan, Craig Stammen have been able to get the job done so far this year. And then when you take a look at Eric Hosmer and Jake Cronenworth, both of these guys hanging at 280 for this bunch. Will Myers is one of these guys that has not necessarily had the best batting average for the team, but a lot of these guys are having a on-base percentage in that pocket of right around a 333. Myers, Manny Machado, Jerickson Profar. I take a look at the backup catcher, Webster Rivera's. All these guys are sort of in that pocket, and I do think that the Padres should be a good size favorite in this spot. I do think that we went a little bit too far, because with the Mets, like I was mentioning a little bit earlier, you are getting reinforcements out there. Taiwan Walker has been relatively solid. I needed more like a plus 160 to be able to take a shot on the Mets in this spot. We are seeing a couple plus 160s, so I'm going to be taking a chance there. Why I'm saying this total at 6.8. As of right now, with the juice at minus 120 to minus 125 on the 7s, I'd probably be taking a look at the over. If we get more of a minus 110 juice on the 7, then I'd be taking a look at the under. But with it being completely unjuiced on the over, I'm probably going to be taking a look at that just because it is such a low total to go along with this Mets plus price. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang board. Tampa Bay Rays are going to be in the road phase off against the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole is going to be going for the Yankees. As of right now, it looks like Ryan Yarbrough is going to be going for the Rays, but we just don't know if he He's going to be the actual starter or a bulk guy. So that is why this game is presently off the board. But I can tell you, if Yarbrough is a bulk guy, like I'm sort of expecting him to be, setting the Yankees as a minus 164 favorite will be setting this total at 7.2 as well. So a 7 or lower going to be taking a look at the over. 7.5 or higher going to be taking a look at the under with the New York Yankees. You have been able to get a whole bunch out of Garrett Cole. The starting rotation has been a little bit banged up. Corey Kluber is currently on the injured list, but you have been able to get quite a bit out of Domingo Herman and Jordan Montgomery, which is really helping out this bullpen, and when you take a look at Cole, he has been absolutely masterful for this team. Buck 78 ERA, 97 strikeouts at 72 thirds innings. That's right around 12 strikeouts per nine innings. His home runs per nine given up right around 0.65-ish, and then for Yarbrough, he has given up a little bit of hard contact, right around 1.2 to 1.3 home runs per nine innings, both Yarbrough. You want to note, as a reliever, he's got a lifetime 24-5 and record, and as a starter, he's got a sub-500 record. So, coming out of the bullpen is actually best for him. He has given Give it up at least three runs in two out of his last three games. And those were both times in which he wound up starting. As a reliever, he's just so much better. So that is something that I'm taking a look at when it comes to this handicap with the race. They wind up entering into the series against the Yankees hotter than lava. You wind up having that Clint Frazier home run a couple days ago. But this is still a race team that they're doing a solid job of being able to get on base. You've got quite a few guys that are not necessarily hitting the world's greatest, but they've all got an on-base percentage between a 340 and a 355. Austin Meadows, Randy Orozarena, Taylor Walls, and Joey Wendell, and you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Wendell, 290 batting average. Meadows more around a 242-ish, but he has really been mashing. I believe he's got a home run in four out of his last six games, and then Yandy Diaz. He ain't going about a 245, but nearly a 380 on base. Mark Prasso is someone that you expect a little bit more from, but he's been able to give you a little bit of something as well, and then you take a look at the New York Yankees. DJ LeMayu, you've got Giancarlo Stanton, along Gio Urshel, and Gleyber Torres. Along between a 255 and a 270 for this bunch, you've been 
been able to get quite a bit of something out of Aaron Judge as well. He's currently playing center field for the team, by the way. Nearly a 400 on base. Power numbers have been down for him recently, but he's still doing a solid job of giving this team professional at-bats. Gary Sanchez, Rudin Adador, Clint Frazier, Mike Ford. You just expect more out of these guys that are hitting a 215 or lower throw in there. Brett Gardner as well, but Miguel Anduar has actually been able to pick it up. He's had some home runs recently, hitting in the neighborhood of about a 245, so that is encouraging him for the Yankees. They got six full innings out of Jordan Montgomery yesterday, which means that the bullpen, which has been masterful for this team in the top four, with regards to ERA, it is going to be rested. You're going to be able to rely upon someone like a Jonathan Luizico, Lucas Lutige, who has been able to be solved for this team, Wandy Peralta. So that is something that is very good for this team. They're still without Darren O'Day Jr. They've been dealing with a couple of injuries there and for the Tampa Bay Rays. They always do a good job will be able to maneuver their bullpen. I realize that Kittredge winds up giving up that home run a few days ago to Clint Frazier, but he has been solid. Andrew Kittredge north of a 1-3-ish ERA now after that home run, but he still has been very good for this team. You've been able to get a lot of solid innings out of guys like Colin McHugh, Pete Fairbanks, Diego Castillo, so I take a look at this spot. Yankees should be a sizable favorite, but always be cautious of Ryan Yarbrough coming out of the bullpen, so that's why I've got the Yankees more in that neighborhood of about a minus 165-ish favorite. Typically, they'd be a little bit bigger if it wasn't for the fact that the Rays are rolling the way that they are, and like I said, 7 or lower going to be taking a look at the over, 7 half or higher going to be taking a look at the under. 915-916 on the main board. We've got my New York Post play of the day. It's Boston Red Sox. Hit the road face off against the Houston Astros. Jake Odorizzi is going to be going for the Strohs. Martin Perez is going to be on the bump for the Boston Red Sox. Your total on this game is 9. Over Zenny Warp Team, minus 110, minus 120. Under Zenny Warp Team, even a minus 110. If you're looking at the Sox, you're going to be getting a plus price here. Any Warp Team, plus 115 and plus 125. If you're taking a look at Houston, any Warp Team, minus 133 and minus 143. And for Jake Odorizzi, he's got a 6.75 ERA, and he has went fewer than five innings in three out of his last four starts. I do realize that in his last sin against the San Diego Padres, he was relatively slow, but even towards the back half of 2019 and all of 2020, he was not necessarily getting the job done. Meanwhile, with Martin Perez, he has actually throughout his career been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home. Sub three road ERA, doing a good job of not giving up hard contact, giving up Four home runs in 50 and two-thirds innings so far this year. And strikeout numbers are up. He's getting right around 8.7-ish strikeouts per nine innings. Walks can be a little bit of an issue. He's giving out right around 3.2-ish of them per nine innings. But you take a look at this Boston Red Sox team. You've got a team that has a bunch of guys that are able to do a good job of being able to get on base for this team. Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez. Double-digit amount of home runs. Both of these guys hitting well above a 300. Alex Verdugo hitting right around a 290. Rafael Devers, 275 batting average. Double-digit amount of homers. Hunter Renfro is hitting above a 250. And Christian Arroyo in that pocket as well. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Christian Vasquez as well, so I really do like this lineup, and for the Houston Astros, reinforcements have come for them. Jordan Alvarez along with Yoli Uriel wanted missing a couple games last week. They are back for this team. Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, all four of these guys have at least a 285 batting average. Carlos Correa has been able to pick it up as well. Now he's right around a 365-ish on base. Kyle Tucker, his batting average is back to right around a 250. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs, so you like what you're seeing there, but for the Red Sox, even though I do think that there are going to be some falters with this bullpen. They've actually been solid. Here Kazusawa Mura has been very good for this team. Garrett Woodlock has been able to come in. He has been able to do a very masterful job for this team. Now when you take a look at this team on the road, they're not quite the same as they are at home, but even some of these guys like Darwin and Hernandez have been able to come in and they've been able to give you some very solid innings. Bat Barnes has been terrific. Adam Adovino has been able to do a good job. And then when you take a look at Houston Astros, Ionelli Paredes who wound up being a little bit banged up to begin the year. He seems to be finding it, but he's been a little bit erratic. Brooks Raley has a nearly 70 RA, and it feels like he and Ryan Presley 
pitch like every day for this team. I realize that they don't, but it just feels like it. Blake Taylor is someone that you probably aren't going to be able to rely upon for too many reliable innings. He just came off the injured list, so he's going to be pitching for the first time since mid-April if he winds up getting called into action in this one, and I think that he might because I don't think that Jay Odorizzi is going to be lasting very long. I think that the edge here goes to Martin Perez, and I want him saying the Boston Red Sox as a very, very slight favorite in the spot, so New York Post Late Day is going to be the Boston Red Sox on the money line, taking that plus price. I wound up setting this total also at 9.1. So we're going to be going with the over along with my New York Post Late Day, the Red Sox. 917-918 on the betting board, the Chicago White Sox are going to be playing us the Detroit Tigers. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn is on the bump for the White Sox. White Sox, sizable favorites here. Anywhere between minus 192 and minus 210. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigres, anywhere between plus 170 and plus 183. Your total is anywhere between 7.5 and 8. On the 7.5, or if it's anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, the under is anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 8, your under juice, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 130, which makes the over anywhere between even and plus 110. I'm going to be taking a shot on over 8 at plus 110. I wound up saying this at a little bit north of 8. More like an 8.3 8.4 because I do think that Casey Mize is doing for some regression. He has actually been able to do a very good job so far this year but you take a look at his fielding independent compared to his ERA. You're finding about a 1.6-ish point difference depending on which fielding independent you wind up taking a look at. He has won 57 and two-thirds innings so far this year. He's issuing a little bit over 3 walks per 9. A little bit over 1.2 home runs per 9. Not necessarily much of a swing and miss guy. Has given up either one or two runs in each out of his last five stars, has won at least six innings in four out of his last five, but he's also played a little bit of a softer schedule. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Chicago White Sox. It was supposed to be Dallas Keuchel who was going to be going in this one. It is instead going to be Lynn because they wound up having their game yesterday get rained out, and for Lance Lynn, he has been absolutely masterful for this team. He has given up two earned runs in his last five starts. Now, he did wind up giving up two additional unearned runs, but Man, this guy has been absolutely amazing. He's given you right around 10 punch outs per 9 innings. He has given you... 2.8-ish walks per nine innings, giving up four home runs in 52 and two-thirds innings, and he's backed up by a bullpen that I really do like with this White Sox team. Now, I will say, for the Tigers, guys like Brian Garcia, Gregory Soto, and company are starting to figure it out. They're no longer the worst bullpen out there in the big leagues. There's still a bottom 10 bullpen, though. Garrett Crochet, meanwhile, Ryan Burr, Evan Marshall, Jose Ruiz, I have a little bit more faith in these guys. Marshall got off to a little bit of a rough start to begin the year for the White Sox, but he's been able to pick it up. And when you take a look at this White Sox lineup, it's very intriguing because Jose Abreu, has been terrific for this team. Now giving you 46 RBI. He leads the league with that regard. Got off to a little bit of a rough start to the year. He has been able to find it. Tim Anderson, Nick Madrigal, along with Yodemir Mercedes, all guys hitting between a 290 and a 3.05. All these guys with at least a 3.30 on base. Yohan Moncada, 300 batting average, 3.30 on base. Jake Lamb, north of a 400 on base, so you've been able to get a lot of something there. And for the Detroit Tigers, you've got a couple guys that are stepping up for the team. You now have someone hitting for more than six home runs so far this year. Jonathan Scope was seven. Yay! So... He has been able to pick it up a little bit, actually hitting a 250 for the team after he just had a massive outburst in that series against the Milwaukee Brewers. But this is no longer the Milwaukee Brewers, and you still have quite a few guys hitting a 225 or lower for this team. Noah Mazzara, Willie Castro, Victor Reyes, Nico Good.
Goodrum, Miguel Cabrera, Grayson Griner. So you've got a lot of guys that they do need to pick it up. You've been able to get Robbie Grossman on base. He and Jamir Candelario between a 350 and a 365 on base. And for Candelario, hitting right around a 280. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of the shortstop and Zach Short, which I find that to be very funny. But hitting a 375 and a very, very small sample size here. Castro has been able to give you a little bit of something. But I do think that the White Sox should be able to dominate this game. I do think that regression is going to be setting in for Casey Mize. So good to be taking the over. And when you take a look at the White Sox, set them as a minus 225 favorite on the money line. If you're looking at the run line, I'm seeing this at anywhere between even money and plus 105. Giving me a plus price on the White Sox run line, very appealing. So we're going to be taking that along with this total over. 919, 920 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins hit their head face off against the Kansas City Royals. Chris with a K Boobich is going to be going for the Royals. J.A. Apapare is going on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. Currently, this is off the board because the Twins apparently are having some issues with regards to locking down their starter on this one. I'm seeing J.A. Hap on ESPN. I could be proven wrong, but if it does wind up being Boobich against Hap, I wound up setting the Twins as about a minus 107-ish favorite in this spot, and I'd be taking a look at anything with an 8 or lower over 8.5 or higher, I'd be taking a look at the under because I wound up saying this little 8.2. Now you take a look at Chris with a K. Bubich. He has actually been able to do a very good job for the Kansas City Royals. He wound up making a couple long relief appearances, got thrusted into the starter's role in 29 and two-thirds innings, across a few starts and a couple relief appearances. He's given up right around 4.3 blocks for nine innings, but 111 whip, buck 52 ERA. Not necessarily a guy that's going to get a bunch of swings and misses, but does a great job of keeping the ball in the yard, and he's facing off against a Minnesota Twins team that they are all sorts of banged up right now, and they lost a bullpen game that Matt Harvey started, so... That tells you where they're at right now. You take a look at this Minnesota Twins team. Nelson Cruz just has hopping himself since coming off the injury list. 351 on base, 275 batting average. But Miguel Sano wound up having something like seven home runs over the course of 15 days. He is currently a little bit banged up for the team. You take a look at the catcher's spot. It's been bad all year long. Ryan Jeffers hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. You've also been kicking the tires on a new center fielder in Gilberto Celstino. He's a young up-and-coming prospect. Gonna have good days for the team. He's just not prepared right now. And then you got guys like Trevor Larnage or a Palunco hitting in that 225 to 230 batting average range. And then you take a look at the bullpen of the Minnesota Twins. Has been far from terrific. Oreo Kahlo winds up getting used up yesterday. Alex Kalme has been a hot mess. So him getting used up yesterday is actually a little bit of an upgrade. But with that said, you've also got Cody Sashak, who is currently on the injured list for the team. Taylor Rogers and Sal Robles. Both of these guys have been saw. Juan Manaya is going to be getting a couple innings at Luke Fair. Has actually been halfway decent, but then you take a look at Kansas City Royals. They've had a little bit of an up and down season with their bullpen, but I do like what you're able to get out of a few of these guys. Tyler Zuber has not been terrific, but Kyle Zimmer has been very good for this team. Greg Holland is able to give you still some good innings. Scott Barlow, Jake Brents. I have a little bit of faith in these guys and for the Royals. Big key is are you able to get Ode Solaire online? 48 home runs during the 2019 season. Four so far this year, but Andrew Benintendi, he has looked very solid. 350 on base, 290 batting average. Salvador Perez, 12 home runs. He's hitting at 280. He is back to full force. You wind up bringing in right fielder Edward Olivares. He has come off the injured list, and he has looked very solid for this team. Calvin Gutierrez, Michael A. Taylor, Whit Merrifield, Carlos Santana. All in between a 250 and a 260, and for Mr. Santana, 385 on base. And I do expect Whit Merrifield to be able to pick it up as well. 
I do think that reinforcements are going to be coming on the way for the Minnesota Twins because they have been resting quite a few guys. And for J.F., the 524 ERA is not necessarily too terrific, but he's been able to do a better job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. You take a look at his road start so far this year. He's given up around .9 home runs per nine innings. Opponents are hitting right around 286 off of him, but I think that he's going to be able to rein it in, which is why I wind up saying the Minnesota Twins as a very, very slight favorite. Like I said, Ader Lohr going to be taking a look at the over if we wind up getting Bubich versus half and half or high are going to be taking a look at the under. 921-922 on the bang board. The LA Angels are going to be playing on the Seattle Mariners. Justice Sheffield is going to be on the bump for the M's. Good if Finn Kenning is on the bump for the Angels. Angels. And we're between minus 150 and minus 155 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the M's, anywhere between plus 130 and plus 143. Draw this game is 8.5. Unders anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. The offers anywhere between even a minus 115. I understand making the Angels a little bit of a favorite here. This just seems a little bit too extreme. I wound up setting the Mariners as more around a plus 134. So I needed at least a plus 135 to be able to take a shot here. And I certainly am going to be taking that shot because with Justice Sheffield, over the last two years, he's given up less than a home run per nine innings. So, that is something that does wind up standing out to me for Griffin Canning. I will give him credit. He's been able to put it together recently for this team. Four and three record, but you take a look at it, he's given up three runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. Home runs are a little bit of an issue. He's given up four of them in his last three starts, and one of those was a two-inning start against the Minnesota Twins, which was not necessarily too terrific. Walks can be an issue with him as well. He has given up right around 4.3-ish walks per nine innings, and same goes for Justice Sheffield. Sheffield giving out right around 3.7-ish walks per nine innings, 20 over the course of 49, but when you take a look at the Seattle Mariners, things seem to be falling in line with them. Now, they do have to do a little bit of traveling in this spot, which makes things a little bit more difficult, but now you've got quite a few guys that'll be able to give you a bit of something, including Mitch Haniger. 14 home runs, 265 batting average. You do like to see that. Ty France, after he wound up going into a little bit of a swoon, he's hitting at 260, and J.P. Crawford is hitting at 250 for this bunch. Now, Kyle Seeger needs to figure it out. 222 batting average. Kyle Lewis was starting to figure it out, and then he wound up going on the 10-day injury list, which means you've got all these guys who wound up entering into yesterday with a buck 80 batting average or lower. Jake Fraley, Jack Mayfield, Taylor Trammell, Jacob Nottingham, Tom Murphy. That is not what you want to see. And Orde Mama Lois, he has not been good for the team either. So you've got a lot of guys that they do need to pick it up. I will say this for the Seattle Mariners though. Bullpen has been relatively solid for the Angels. It's been better recently, but I still have a lot of trepidation having faith in guys like Steve Ciszek, Rossiel Iglesias, even someone like an Aaron Slager, so I believe is currently on the 10-day injured list because he was just not good, to say the least. Daniel Zamora has actually been able to give you a couple halfway decent innings for the Seattle Mariners. Keenan Middleton, Anthony Machevich, these guys have been able to give you a little bit of something for Machevich. It's been a little bit of a rough go recently, but Paul Seawald has been able to give you some solid innings, really, aside from that series against the Oakland A's. And then when you take a look at the Angels, no question, Shoei Otani. Should be, as of right now, the AL MVP. He's getting a home run every 12 and a half ish at bats. He has given you right around a 265 batting average with those 15 home runs. Jared Walsh, though. How about him? Hitting a 300, 362 on base, 12 home runs. Justin Upton, he does have 10 home runs, but he's hitting right around 208 for this bunch. Anthony Rendon is still hitting below a 230. That is something that you've got to feel like is going to rectify itself a little bit now with the Angels. They've actually been able to do a solid job at home. At home, they're hitting as a collective about a 260, and they've been able to really pump out the home runs. 40 42 home runs in 27 games, so right around a home run and a half, 
per game. So you do like what you're seeing there. Jose Iglesias has been able to get on base whenever he's been out there. He's been a little bit banged up this year. So you do always have to keep that into account. Now guys like Jose Rojas and company, they need to pick it up a tab. But I do think that you're going to get runs in this game. I wound up saying this total a little bit north of nine. I do realize that sometimes I like to play a little bit more pitcher friendly. But going to be taking a look at the over. And with the Mariners being plus 140 or greater, we're going to be taking that plus price as well. And we wrap things up with 923, 924 on the bang board. The Walker Texas Rangers hit the road face off against the Colorado Rockies. It was looking like we were going to get 55 shades of John Gray for the Rockies. Instead, Austin Gomber is going to be going for them. Meanwhile, Mike Fultonavich is going to be on the bump for the Texas Rangers. Currently, only bet online and circa have this, and they've got the exact same line. Rangers, minus 110. Colorado Rockies, even money total is 10.5 over and under, both at minus 110. I want to say the Rockies as a favorite in this spot. I've got them more in the neighborhood of about a minus 125-ish because with Mike fulton which I have absolutely no faith in him whatsoever. And with the Colorado Rockies, their record is absolutely terrible. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, but you've got to be gauging this team so differently home to road. On the road, this is a team that is 4-22. Meanwhile, at home, I believe that if they weren't 18-12 entering into yesterday, they were 17-12. So they've actually done a good job whenever they've been at home. Now with the Colorado Rockies, Bullpen is a little bit of a mess for this team. You've got Yancy Almonte, who's got an ERA that is north of 10, but... Jordan Sheffield, Daniel Bard, even Michael Givens at home have had relatively solid outings for this team. And then you take a look at the Colorado Rockies. Having Trevor Story in the injured list, no fans are butts about it. That's a little bit tough. But you take a look at Ryan McMahon. He's been able to give the team 13 home runs so far this year. And I believe that 10 of them have come at home. So he's been able to do a great job at Coors Field. This is a team that has a collective hitting right around 265 whenever they are at Coors. CJ Crone, Charlie Blackman after rough starts of the year. They are picking it up, and Josh Fuentes hitting a 240 for the year, but north of 300 whenever he's at home, and then Jonathan Daza hitting north of a 300 for the team as well. Now, you take a look at the Texas Rangers. Adolius Garcia, 16 home runs, and he's hitting a 280 for the team. He has been absolutely magnificent. Isaiah Canair Falefa, 285 batting average, that is solid, and then got a bunch of guys hitting in that pocket of between a 235 and a 250-ish. You've got Charlie Culverson, Willie Calhoun, Nate Lowe, throwing there, Jose Trevino, all these guys sort of in that pocket. Brock Holt is only hitting about a 215, but nearly a 330 on base. Joey Gallo hitting a 210, but once again, 360 on base. He's been able to give you a little bit of boom as well, but with the Texas Rangers, hard to have a lot of faith in this bullpen either. Taylor Hearn has actually been able to give you a couple solid innings recently. I do like John King and Ian Kennedy, but Julie Rodriguez is terrible. Brett guys, he's got nearly an 8-ish ERA. You've got Tabarcus Evans out giving you innings. He's actually been solid, but it's been in a very small sample size. Wes Benjamin, one of the long guys. Well, he's very, very long for giving you runs as well, so that's not necessarily what you like to see, and this is just a total I think is too low for Coors Field. I really think that the minimum should be 11. I wound up saying this total more in the neighborhood of about an 11 and a half, so I'm seeing about a run-ish differential, so I'm going to be taking it over, and I'm going to be taking what is going to be like an even money slash a little bit of a small minus price here with the Colorado Rockies, as Austin Gomber has been someone that has had his issues with command, but by and large has not necessarily been a terrible pitcher. We were looking at John Gray a little bit earlier, but you take a look at Austin Gomber, the ERA itself is not necessarily too bad. It's right around a 455, considering that he makes his starts as Coors Field, that's not necessarily too bad. Walks, like I said, they have not been good, but in three starts at Coors Field, a buck 88 ERA. 10 walks in 14 and two-thirds innings, but opponents are a buck 49 off of him, and he's only given up one home run, so I think that he's going to be able to hold down the 40-year against a guy, Mike Fultonavich, that he is towards the league leaders with regard 
thirds of home runs given up, 12 of them in 62 and two-thirds innings, one and five record. You take a look at what he's done on the road, right around a four-ish ERA, but that's over the course of three starts, and he's given up four home runs in 18 innings. I think that this is a little bit of a doomsday scenario for them, so take a look at the Rockies along with this total over. And now we'll wrap things up on this Thursday right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Big thanks to Tim Murray of the Vegas Hatsin Information Network show the nightcap for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. you got one of two ways to be out firing questions if you have them for this podcast. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind the letters EM. They mean does not matter, so always send these in by the Twitter timeline. Other ways via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'll be coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.